All right, so um, having a little trouble with the sharing of the screen, so which is okay because I don't need it necessarily for this message, but um, I will need it down the road, so we'll work out the details on that. Um, we are in a series on the end time, and I'm trying to explain them avoiding two uh, problems. One is the gospel being seen as a way of changing the world instead of calling us out of the world into the kingdom of God and waiting for it to come in its fullness. And secondly, to attribute all of these prophecies to the U.S. or to the church or to Christianity and not to Israel, both the people and the land, because that's really what these texts are about. So, uh, we've looked at the events before the Great Tribulation, uh, which kicks it off, the abomination of desolation that will take place in the holy place in Judea. Uh, let me just ask, uh, are you uh, recording? Yes, we're recording. Okay, all right. So, just want to make sure. Um, so, the... the uh, Great Tribulation will be kicked off by that uh, event. Um, and then in, we saw that the Great Tribulation will include the martyrdom of countless believers from all people groups. And we've looked at the signs that immediately follow that Great Tribulation that take place in heaven, the sun darkening, the moon turning to blood, and the stars falling from heaven. There are also signs on the earth as God pours out his wrath. And last week we looked at the seven bowls of wrath that are poured out on the earth during that time. While the gospel is being proclaimed and the nations are being warned by God, they still refuse to repent. There is actually in the book of Revelation an earlier vision, at least in the recording, of John that includes the signs that are on the earth, blood fire and smoke. These are the signs mentioned uh, by the prophet Joel and announced by Peter at Pentecost. So I want you to turn with me quickly to Acts chapter uh, uh, 2, where we'll look at that. We could go to Joel, but it's easier to find the book of Acts. So uh, the book of Acts chapter 2, on the day of Pentecost, as the Spirit of God had fallen on the disciples, Peter says in verse uh, 17, It shall be in the last days, God says, that I will pour forth my Spirit on all mankind, and your sons and your daughters will prophesy, and your young men will see visions, and your old men will dream dreams. Even on my bond slaves, both men and women, I will in those days pour forth my Spirit, and they will prophesy. And I will grant wonders in the sky above and signs on the earth below, blood, fire, and vapor of smoke, the sun turning to darkness, the moon to blood, before the great and glorious day of the Lord will come. And it shall be that whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So it's important uh, for us to take a look at these things. Uh, particularly because Joel talks about these signs in the earth, and they are, of course, included in what we'll see today. But I want to give us a warning first, that we have to be careful about being too certain, as if we have this all figured out. 
we know that Jesus said he didn't know the day of his coming, or the angels didn't know the day of his coming, only the Father. And we're going to see that even with the revelation that we're given, we don't actually have it in its fullness. I want to remind you of a statement that Paul makes in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. A lot of us go to that chapter for the uh, description of love, but I want to look at a passage that picks up in verse 11. Paul says, when I was a child, I used to speak like a child, think like a child, reason like a child. When I became a man, I put away childish things. For now we see in a mirror di dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I will know fully just as I also have been fully known. Now this is really important. Paul's speaking of the difference in human terms of being a child and being a man. And he says that we now in, as children of God, see through a glass dimly. But then, meaning after the resurrection in the kingdom, we will see face to face. Now we know in part, but then we will know fully as we are known fully. So that's important. There's much more about these events of the end times that we only see in part and we see them dimly. And we're going to see more of that today. Uh, as we look at this text. So now I'm going to ask you to turn to Revelation chapter 8. We're going to pick it up at verse 2. Revelation chapter 8, verse 2. And we're going to look at the next several chapters as we look at these signs that happen on the earth. Chapter 8, verse 1 is actually part of the, the chapters and verses always drive me crazy because they, they, they're trying to figure out which goes with which, and often they get it wrong. This, this first verse needs to go with the six seals of the previous uh, two chapters. Uh, so, it's, so we'll pick it up in verse 2. And I saw seven angels who stand before God, and seven trumpets were given to them. Another angel came and stood at the altar, holding a golden censer, with much incense was given to him, so that he might add it to the prayers of all the saints on the golden altar, which was before the throne. Now you guys know this, because we have the tabernacle kind of laid out in our sanctuary. So this is that prayer altar that's right before the throne, and the, the golden incenser, and the prayers of the saints coming up like uh, incense to the Lord. And the smoke of the incense and the prayers of the saints went up before God out of the angel's hands. Then the angel took the censer and filled it with fire from the altar and threw it to the earth. And there followed peals of thunder, sounds and flashes of lightnings and an earthquake. Now, this vision that John sees immediately after the seventh seal, but it's not necessarily uh, doing this chronologically. He's now seeing a vision independent from that seventh seal. Remember that these are not consecutive sevens, that the sevens look at different aspects of the events of the end times. In some sense, they all conclude at the culmination with the seventh of each of these series. And in that sense, they're connected, but they're not directly overlapping as some of them focus more on the onset and others on the end 
of the events. The seven bowls of wrath culminate with the preparation of the war between the nations and the Lord at his coming. And we will see today that the last trumpet is focused on the resurrection of the dead and the establishment of the kingdom on earth. So we're going to pick it up now at verse 6. This is really uh, important. Uh, so, the seven angels who had the seven trumpets prepared themselves to sound. And the first sounded, and there came hail and fire mixed with blood. They were thrown on the earth, and a third of the earth was burned up and a third of the trees were burned up, and all the green grass was burned up. A second angel sounded, and something like a great mountain burning with fire was thrown into the sea, and a third of the sea became blood. And the third of the creatures which were in the sea had, and had life died, and a third of the ships were destroyed. The third angel sounded, and a great star fell from heaven, burning like a torch, and it fell on the third of the rivers and on the springs of waters. And the name of that star is Wormwood, and a third of the waters became Wormwood, bitter. And many men died from the waters because they were made bitter. Now the fourth angel sounded, and a third of the sun, and a third of the moon, and a third of the stars were struck, so that a third of them would be darkened, and the day would not shine for a third of it, and the night was the same way. Now, John sees this angel with the censer that contains the prayers of the saints at the golden altar. These are the cries of God's people for deliverance and longing for God to redeem them and bring his vengeance on those who persecute them. Remember, this is right after John sees that multitude that came out of the great tribulation by martyrdom. This is the time for God's vengeance. The incense, the prayers, are lighted with the fire of the altar and flung onto the earth. And these events then are a response of God to the persecution of his people and their cries out to him. In the same way that Israel cried out for 400 years and then the Lord brought judgment on Egypt, in the same way this is happening in the earth. Now the first four angels sound their trumpets and we see the signs on earth. And they match Joel's prophecy, blood, fire, and smoke. Along with hail, hail, fire, and blood resulting in the earth being damaged in its ecosystem, at least a third of it, in the water sources. This mention of a third is repeated several times. In some sense, this vengeance of God is not as strong as the wrath of God poured out that we saw last week, uh, but it is still a major disruption of the earth and mankind. This word wormwood is throughout the scriptures about bitterness and the drinking of bitterness and poison. The term is used in several places in the scripture related to the judgment of God, both on his people and on mankind in general. So this is now part of God's judgment on mankind and specifically in response to the prayers of God's people. I want you to look at verse 13, the last verse of verse 8. Then I looked, and I heard an eagle flying in mid-heaven, saying with a loud voice, Woe, woe, woe to those who dwell on the earth, 
because of the remaining blasts of the trumpet of the three angels who are about to sound. We see again this grouping of the first four, like we saw the seals grouping, and now we have the last three, our great woes that are placed on the earth. So we're going to pick that up and we're going to look at Revelation uh, 9. I'm going to read up to verse 12. This is the first woe. The fifth angel sounded, I saw a star from heaven that had fallen to the earth, and the key of the bottomless pit, the abyss, was given to him. He opened the abyss, and smoke went out of the pit like the smoke of a great furnace, and the sun and the air were darkened by the smoke of the pit. Out of the smoke came locusts upon the earth, and the power was given to them as scorpions of the earth have power. They were told not to hurt the grass of the earth, nor the green things, nor any tree, but only the men who do not have the seal of God on their forehead. And they were permitted to, not permitted to kill anyone, but to torment for five months. And their torment was like the torment of a scorpion when it stings a man. And in those days men will seek death and will not find it, for they will long to die and death will flee them from them. The appearance of the locusts was like horse prepared for battle, and on their heads appeared to be crowns like gold, and their faces were like the faces of men, and their hair was uh, like the hair of women, and their teeth were like the teeth of lions. They had breastplates of iron, and the sound of their wings was like the sound of chariots of many horses rushing to battle. They have tails like scorpions and stings, and in their tails is the power to hurt men for five months. They have a king over them, the angel of the abyss. His name is, in Hebrew, Abaddon, and in Greek, he has the name Apollyon. The first woe is past. Behold, two woes are still coming. Now, John sees as the fifth angel sounds his trumpet, this star fall from heaven, who's given the key to the abyss, and he releases this demonic horde like locusts swarming the earth. They're not able to hurt the earth itself or anyone with the seal of God on their foreheads. They can't kill even the ones that they are going after, but they can make you wish you were dead with the pain of their tormenting sting. During this time of this plague of God, they will torture mankind for five months and death in that sense, will be suspended. Now, these are generally understood to be satanic creatures, and they have a king over them, and they are tied to the abyss. This is the first woe, and two still remain. Now, we get the next woe in uh, Revelation 9, uh, verse 13 to um, uh, 21. The sixth angel sounded, and I heard a voice from the four horns of the golden altar, which is before God, one saying to the sixth angel who had the trumpet, release the four angels who are bound at the great river Euphrates, and the four angels who had been prepared for an hour and a day and a month and a year were released so that they would kill a third of mankind. The number of the armies of the horsemen was 200 million. I heard the number of them. And this is how I saw in the vision the horses and those who sat upon him. The riders had breastplates, the color of fire, 
and brimstone, and heads of the horses were like the heads of lions, and out of their mouths proceeded fire, smoke, and brimstone. A third of mankind was killed by these three plagues, by the fire, the smoke, and the brimstone, which proceeded out of their mouths. And the power of the horses is in their mouths and in their tails, and their tails are like serpents that have heads, and with them they'd harm. Now, the rest of mankind who were not killed, remember they only can kill one-third, by these plagues did not repent of the works of their hands so as to not worship demons and the idols of gold and silver and brass and stone and wood, which can neither see nor hear nor walk. And they did not repent of their murders or of their sorceries nor of their immorality nor of their thefts. Now, what's going on in this context is that these angels, uh, these are, are sounding the trumpets as the vengeance of God is going out. So this sixth trumpet releases the four angels at the Euphrates River. They've been prepared for a specific time, and they will kill one-third of mankind. That army that is described has been interpreted in a couple of ways. One of these sees this as the armies of the kings of the east that we saw in the bowls of wrath last week. You recall that the Euphrates dries up to prepare for the ways of the east because Euphrates is mentioned in both of these passages. Some interpreters have said the river dries up and this is this uh, 200 million army that it comes across. And that's been interpreted as all kinds of peoples. One other interpretation is that this army is also angelic, which may or may not be satanic. The first could not kill, but these are allowed to kill. So these are maybe the hosts of God killing in judgment, like the angel of death at the Passover. Death comes by fire, comes by smoke, and it comes by brimstone. Now whether these are human, demonic, or angelic. This represents the vengeance of God on those who reject God. And we are told here, just as we were told in the bowls last week, that with this happening on mankind, they won't repent, but they retain their evil and wicked lifestyles. Fascinating connection between these. And I put these in this order, and you will see in a moment why I didn't start with these and then go to the bowls of wrath. So we're going to pick up at Revelation chapter 10, and we're going to look at the uh, 11 verses of chapter 10. I saw another angel coming out of heaven, clothed with a cloud, with the rainbow on his head, and his face was like the sun, and his feet like pillars of fire. And he had in his hand a little book, which was opened, and he placed his right foot on the sea and his left on the land, and he cried out with a loud voice as with a lion roars, and when he had cried out, the seven peals of thunder uttered their voices. And when the seven peals of thunder had spoken, I was about to write it down, and I heard a voice from heaven saying, Seal up the things which the seven peals of thunder have spoken and do not write them. Then the angel that I saw, standing on the sea and the land, lifted up his hand, his right hand, and swore to him who lives forever, 
by him who lives forever and ever, who created heaven and the things in it and the earth and the things in it and the sea and the things in it, that there would be no longer a delay. In the days of the voice of the seventh angel, then he is about to sound and the mystery of God is completed as he preached to his servants and his prophets. Then the voice I heard from heaven I heard again speaking to me, and he said, Go take the book which is in the hand of the angel who stands by the land and the sea. And I went to the angel, telling him to give me the little book, and he said, Take it and eat it. It will make your stomach bitter, but in your mouth it will be sweet as honey. And I took the little book out of the angel's hand and ate it, and in my mouth it was made sweet as honey. And when I had eaten it, my stomach was made bitter. And he said to me, that you must prophesy again concerning peoples and nations and tongues and kings. Now, this is one of my favorite parts of the book of Revelation, partly because it can't be interpreted. <laughs> this is intriguing. John sees an angel stand on the earth and the sea, and he cries out, and John hears seven thunders, another group of seven. It's an interlude between the first two woes and the final woe, and all of a sudden, John's going to write this down, and he's told not to do it. So we have no knowledge of the seven thunders or their part in the wrath of God. We simply don't have full information. Now, back in the 60s, I just want, this is a, my own interlude. Back in the 60s, there was a, a rumor going around. We all thought the Lord was coming back any second. We were all pre-tribulational. It was all set up. And there was a guy who claimed that he found out what the seven thunders said. And he was publishing a book on the message of the seven thunders. And he died. And in his death, I think it was a car accident, the manuscript was burned up. So we don't have them. Now, I don't believe that story for a second, but it was going around the Jesus movement uh, with a lot of other things that were going on at that time that had us uh, all listening to that and not to this. This angel announces that there will be no longer a, day, a delay. When the seventh trumpet sounds, it will bring to completion all that God has done in giving the mystery of all of this to his prophets. Now, there is a second part here. John is given a book to eat, and it tastes sweet when he eats it, but it gives him a bitter stomach. And he's told that he needs to tell more of God's word to people. Now, this vision is very close, not exactly, but very similar to one that Ezekiel had in chapters 2 and 3 of Ezekiel. You can read that later. He was given a scroll that had bitterness on it because it was lamentations and, and that kind of thing. But when he ate it, it was sweet to the taste. But Ezekiel's message was not, he was specifically told, you're not going to people of other languages and other tongues and that. You are going to my people. Ezekiel's message was for Israel. John's message is to the many people's nations, languages, and kings. So it's a different context here, but a similar theme. Now, in Revelation 11, 1 to 14, and I'm not going to read it, 
there is an, another part of this, the, the, um, uh, the woe, and it is about the two witnesses. These two witnesses bring judgment on the earth, then they're killed, and after three and a half days, they rise from the dead and visibly ascend into heaven. And this is connected to the time of the Gentiles in the city of Jerusalem. And I want to talk about that in its own context so that we'll see it. So I'm not going to read that. I want to get to the end of the seven trumpets. And so for the sake of time, I'm going to let you read that part for yourself. We're going to pick it up at chapter 11, verse 15. Then the seventh angel sounded. And there were loud voices in heaven saying, The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he will reign forever and ever. I always want to say hallelujah, 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 right? Uh, hallelujah chorus there. Uh, and the 24 elders who sit on their thrones before God fell on their faces and worshipped him. Listen to what they say. We give you thanks, O Lord God, the Almighty, who are and who were, because you have taken your great power and have begun to reign. The nations were enraged and your wrath came, and the time came for the dead to be judged, and the time for, the re for you to reward your bondservants, the prophets and the saints and those who fear your name, the small and the great and to destroy those who destroy the earth. And the temple of God, which is in heaven, was opened, and the ark of his covenant appeared in his temple, and there were flashes of lightning and sounds and peals of thunder, and the earthquake and a great storm. Now, really important, when the angel sounds, the seventh angel, this is the last trumpet, if you will, there's an apex here. The kingdoms of the world now become the kingdoms of our Lord and his Messiah. And he shall reign forever. There will be no end of his reign. And he will sit on the throne of his father David. The elders worship God because he's finally bringing to pass all that's there. God's wrath is being expressed expressed. The resurrection is taking place. People will be judged and people will be given reward. And then this last verse is really fascinating. The temple of God in heaven is open. The ark of his covenant appears in the temple. Now you remember last week, I hope you remember, that just as these seven angels of, with the bowls are about to pour their bowls onto the earth with the wrath of God. The smoke and the glory of God so fills the temple of God that nobody could enter it until that, that wrath was over. Here we see the wrath over and the temple of God is open and the ark of his covenant appears in the temple. Now this is not the Indiana Jones ark. This is the ark that the copy was made on earth. This is the temple of God in heaven. So it's really important to see that there is a connection. You remember in the tabernacle, there was the glory of God so great that nobody could enter. And when the temple was dedicated, the glory of God 
so great that no one could enter. When God's about to pour out his wrath, his glory is so great that no one can enter the temple until that passes. Wow. Okay. Now, there's certainly more here than you and I can grasp. And we know that not everything is revealed as we seal with the thunders that are mentioned again here. The peals of thunder are mentioned, but we have no idea what exactly is going on there. But we can understand the general sequence of the events. That's why we had the chart that we have. We need to look at a few more events, particularly the two witnesses, and we have to look at the fall of Babylon. And then we can begin to put some of these things and approximate them on our chart. So I hope you're reading this over and over and looking again at it so that you become conversant with it. The danger here is that uh, it's very easy for us to forget bits and pieces that may connect in that framework. So let's go to the Lord in prayer and then we will do a, um, uh, a Q&A. Father, we're grateful for your word and we thank you, God, that uh, you have not required